0: Let's turn now to uh, Luke chapter 12 Luke chapter 12 uh, As we work our way through this gospel uh, We've reached this morning the first 12 verses Uh, Just to set the context a little At the end of verse 11 Jesus had uh, Pronounced a list of woes to the Pharisees and the lawyers Uh, And it's after saying these things uh, That he goes on to say uh, What he will say in chapter 12 Again, it's another searching passage. We've had a few recently. So, Luke chapter 12 uh, and verses 1 to 12. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to say to his disciples first Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed. Or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered? Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men about how you should defend yourself, or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Amen. I often start a sermon with a story or an illustration uh, to try and get us into the passage, but I'm not actually going to do this mo- that this morning. I'm going to jump straight into these verses uh, that are here in front of us. Uh, this passage this morning here in Luke 12 uh, is about acknowledging the God who sees all things, uh, who has authority of all, over all things. It's about acknowledging him in the person of his Son Jesus Christ, uh, seeking his forgiveness and following him wholeheartedly. Uh, given that he is the God who sees all things and has power over all things, I would want to say to you this morning, you need to be on his side. Uh, You need to be one of his people. For him, with him, not against him, as we'll see. Uh, Three points from this passage this morning. Uh, First of all, uh, verses 1 to 3. Who sees everything? Who sees everything? God. God does. Uh, as we open Luke chapter 12, uh, Jesus is is absolutely swamped by people, we read. Uh, he's utterly surrounded. Luke has a, a very vivid and almost slightly disturbing way of telling us just how many people were gathering around him in verse 1. Uh, there were so many thousands that they were trampling one another. Uh, presumably they, they were desperate to get within uh, hearing distance of Jesus so that they would know what he was saying. They wanted to hear him. Uh, But actually what he has to say, uh, first of all, in these verses, uh, is for his disciples, verse 1. It's for his disciples. And he refers them back to some of his words at the end of chapter 11. And some things that we looked at last week. As I've said before, I read, uh, at the end of chapter 11, Jesus pronounces a series of woes uh, upon the Pharisees and upon the lawyers. Uh, and he returns again to the subject of the Pharisees uh, at the start of chapter twelve. Uh, this time though, as, as he speaks about Pharisees, he's not speaking to them. he said his words to them there at the end of uh, chapter eleven. Rather now he is warning his disciples about falling into the same trap that they had fallen into. and don't be like them, he's going to say. And the Pharisees uh, had fallen into the trap of legalism. Uh, legalism made, that made them think that as long as their outward deeds uh, that people could see uh, were law-abiding, then they were okay. Uh, they were fine. Uh, with people and with God, they thought. <laughs> well, Jesus tells us here in verse 1 that such an attitude was pure hypocrisy. They were hypocrites. Uh, What is hypocrisy? Well, hypocrisy is pretending to be something that you're not. Or trying to give the people the impression that you're something uh, that you're not. Uh, It's like wearing a beautiful mask in front of people that you want to impress. uh, When all the time what's hidden underneath that mask uh, is nothing but ugliness and sin, wickedness and greed. And that is hypocrisy. Uh, And that, unfortunately, sadly, seemed to describe and characterise the Pharisees. Jesus has a warning for his disciples because he says that their hypocrisy was like leaven. Uh, Verse 2, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Uh, What's leaven? Well, we don't necessarily think of leaven in negative ways. Uh, Leaven is what you put in bread, you don't need much, just a little bit. Uh, And it makes the bread rise. Uh, Back in the Old Testament, uh, at times that the Jews and the Israelites were told not to put leaven in bread because it wasn't to rise. Uh, But leaven, if you put it in, it just takes a bit, it spreads through all the batch of dough and it makes uh, the bread rise. It is all affected by uh, the leaven. Well, Jesus says, hypocrisy had infected every part of the Pharisees and the disciples were to be careful that it didn't spread to them. Uh, Jesus was desperate that it should not do the same to his people. Why was Jesus uh, so keen that his disciples should not be infected by hypocrisy? Well, quite simply, it's because nothing can be hidden from God. You can't hide anything from him. God sees all, doesn't he? It's open to him. The mask of our own outward righteousness. Our own outward law keeping. Your own outward respectability. It might fool many, many people. It will never fool God, will it? He sees everything. And one day, we're told in these verses, he will reveal everything. Look at verses 2 and 3. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetop. there will be those in this room who have secret sins secret sins sins that you may hide from your friends sins that you may hide from your family sins that you may hide from your spouse from your parents from your children perhaps from your colleagues or your boss from the tax man sins that that as Jesus describes them that are committed in dark places and in private rooms sins that you perhaps think no one else sees no one else knows about and no one ever will take heed of these verses God sees it's never been hidden from him more than that Jesus says he will reveal them be in no doubt about that these are hard words but we need to hear them if you have fallen into the trap of thinking that you can hide some of your sins so that no one else will see remember that God sees and God will Quite possibly when you least expect it Reveal those sins For others to see You do not want Your secret sins To be revealed You wouldn't try and hide them If you did want them revealed When they are revealed And that is a promise from Jesus here They will be revealed When they are It will be very painful for you. It may be painful to others too. So, what then do you need to do with those secret sins in your heart? What must you do? Well, confess those sins to God. Tell Him. Confess them. Admit to them. Because there is forgiveness even the secret sins even hypocrisy Uh, you may need help to leave those sins behind because you must do that too you must confess them you must turn from them Uh, you may need help which may mean sharing your particular secret sin with a trusted Christian friend and confidant who can help you? Who can pray for you? Who can ask you how you're doing? It may be very difficult for you to do that. It, it almost certainly will be. But you do not want to be revealed as a hypocrite. And God will reveal it. Uh, if you are tangled up in secrecy, uh, let me give you these words from Proverbs 28. And verse thirteen, there is a wonderful promise in these words of God. Proverbs twenty eight thirteen. Whoever conceals his transgressions, that's his sins, will not prosper. God will not look on you kindly. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them, that is, turns from them, will obtain mercy whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy that's a wonderful promise there for the person caught up in in secret sin there is mercy there is grace there is forgiveness if you will confess your sin to God and by God's help turn from it Relying on the help and strength He will give you by His Spirit and any other practical means or people He may give you to help you overcome that sin. There is mercy and there is forgiveness. Now, in this life, of course, there will always still be some sin in our hearts. In this life, there will always still be sin in your heart. To an extent, Every one of us is a hypocrite at times, aren't we? We can all at times be guilty of this sin. You will always have to fight it in this life. You will lose the occasional battle along the way, even as a Christian. But whatever you do about it, and there is only one thing you can do, don't try and cover your own sinful heart with your own outward righteousness. Don't do that. I'm not saying don't try and be righteous. (laughs) I'm not saying don't try and obey God. I'm not saying don't try and be holy. But don't try and use that to cover your inward sin. It won't cover it. God will see straight through it. To your heart. Instead seek forgiveness in Christ. Turn from your sin and follow him. Trust him as your Lord. And your saviour. And what will happen then. Is that you will be coated, you will be clothed, you will be covered in His righteousness. That wonderful gift of His righteousness. And God will accept that righteousness. Uh, because Christ's righteousness was in no way that of a hypocrite. He was and is. Totally righteous, both outside and in. That is Christ. And he will cover you with that righteousness when you trust in him. Isn't that wonderful? What wonderful news for sinners. He will do that. So confess and turn to him. Secondly though, verses 4 to 7. Verses 4 to 7. Who has power and authority over everything? point one who sees everything God point two who has power and authority over everything God God does back in Luke uh, chapter 9 Jesus told his disciples for the first time uh, about his impending death (coughs) uh, that he would soon die at the hands of the religious leaders and authorities of his day Uh, he immediately followed that up in Luke 9 By telling his disciples what? When he told them, well, you too will have to take up your cross and follow me. A daunting thing. It would quite possibly cost them their lives. In the case of most of them, it did. So what he has to say then to them here in verses 4 to 7, it was incredibly relevant to them, even if they didn't realise it yet. Uh, For Christians in many countries around our world, as I've already mentioned when we came to pray, these verses are still incredibly immediate and relevant. Not to say they aren't for us. (laughs) They are for us as well. Uh, Thank our God that it is still relatively rare in this country for a Christian's life to be endangered simply because they are a Christian. That is still very rare for us as believers in this country. Uh, We shouldn't forget, of course, that in the blink of an eye, that could all change. It's changed very quickly in Syria. You shouldn't think it could never happen here. It could. So we need to take these words of verses uh, 4 and 5 to heart. Uh, It could change. We can need to face threats like these. Uh, So what does Jesus say to encourage his disciples in light of what they were going to face. Well first of all Jesus says this in verse 4. I tell you my friends. Do not fear those who kill the body. And after that have nothing more that they can do. Now Christians as we've said are not always spared physical death. At the hands of God's enemies. Uh, sometimes it's it's lovely to read of and hear of amazing stories. Uh, perhaps with missionaries or believers in in countries where Christians are persecuted uh, who have been miraculously spared death because God has intervened in some way and saved them in that situation but that doesn't always happen it's lovely when it does and it's inspiring to read of it but it doesn't always happen Uh, you only have to pick up a book like uh, Fox's book of Christian Martyrs to see that it doesn't always happen and there are many examples that have happened since I think there's a statistic that there have been more Christian martyrs in the last century than all the previous centuries put together. But, having said that, taking your physical life is the worst that they can do. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the worst. It sounds bad enough, doesn't it? (laughs) It sounds terrifying. (laughs) Perhaps. But Jesus says. Do not fear those who can do nothing more than take your physical life. He's telling them they have no authority over your soul. They have no authority over your eternal future. And this life will seem like a drop in a bucket compared with your eternal future. The suffering you have in this life is preparing you for a far greater weight of glory in the next. So he says, uh, don't fear that. Don't fear physical death. It's all they can take from you is your physical life. But then in verse 5, what does Jesus say? Well, he effectively says God does have authority over your soul. Your persecutors don't, but God does. He actually also says in verse 5, has ultimate authority over that physical death that may take place. He would have been in control of that too, really. But his point here is that that the authority that God has is one to do what? What? But a frightening thing. He has the authority, Jesus says, to cast you into hell. That is frightening. We don't like to stop and think about it because it is so terrible. And it is so frightening. But sometimes we must stop and think about it. You must. You do not want to be on the wrong side of God's judgment. I said at the start, this is a passage about being on God's side. You do not want to be on his wrong side regarding this, do you? This is the church who has the authority to throw you into hell and will throw you into hell. If your sins are not forgiven. It's no wonder that Jesus repeats twice in these verses to fear him. At the end of verse 5 he says, yes, I tell you, fear him these are strong words if your sins are not yet forgiven in Christ there is a great deal to fear I must say that because God's word says it if you're not trusting in Jesus Christ this morning let me ask you what do you fear most what is it that fills you with fear most? Maybe it's loss of health. Maybe it's loss of family. Maybe it's loss of job. I don't know. You perhaps know what it is for you. It may well be that that thing is genuinely fearful and horrible. And I would not want it to happen to you. But let me tell you, on the authority of God's word here, it's nowhere near as terrible and as awful And as horrible and as fearful as falling into the hands of an angry God. Whatever it is. He has the authority to throw you into hell. God's judgment is a fearful thing. Sometimes we don't say it loud enough. We don't say it clear enough. Jesus is very clear here, isn't he? Notice he says it to you in verse 4 as a friend. I tell you my friends. He says it out of love. He says it because he doesn't want you to go there to hell. If you love someone you would warn them. If they were heading for destruction, wouldn't you? And it's in that spirit that Jesus says these words. It's in that spirit that I repeat them here. If you haven't yet received God's forgiveness in Christ. Then go and get it. (laughs) Confess your sin, go to him, ask him to forgive you, he will. Then you're not going to hell. You're going to heaven and it will be glorious. But you need to hear those words of warning. Verses 4 and 5. Words of warning when it comes to God's authority and his power. But then verses 6 and 7. I love the fact that verses 6 and 7 follow on from those two verses. Verses 6 and 7 offer words of comfort when it comes to God's power and God's authority. Uh, Perhaps as Jesus spoke, particularly verses 4 and 5 maybe he saw the look of fear the look of terror on the faces of those to whom he was speaking so he reassures them he reassures those who do trust in God he starts to speak uh, of sparrows sparrows uh, sold in the marketplace five for just two pennies Jesus says sparrows, very common thousands upon millions of them probably Sparrows were cheap Jesus tells us in the price of them They were dirt cheap uh, They were, if you were to go around the supermarket They were the bog-offs They were the buy one, get one free And you found them at the end of the aisle On special offer They were hardly worth anything uh, They were as Asda's own fish fingers Compared with wild Alaskan salmon They were hardly worth a thing But Jesus tells his disciples Do you know something? Not one of those millions of sparrows that you self are almost nothing, not one of them is forgotten by God. He knows each and every one of them. Every individual sparrow. How many sparrows do you think there are in the world? Every one of them known by God and cared for by Him. Jesus goes on to say, but that if that's the case of sparrows, how much more of His people? He says, why even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Uh, God is so interested in you that he has counted up one by one every individual hair upon your head. Maybe he has counted them as they have fallen out again as well. But he knows you. He knows all about you. He is interested in you. Then, in what initially sounds like a contradiction of verses 4 and 5, he says uh, there in uh, verse 7 Fear not. Just to God's people. Fear not. Why? You are of more value than many sparrows, so much more valuable to God. And you are. If you're one of his people, you are. God didn't send his only son into this world to die for sparrows, did he? (coughs) For individual sparrows. No. He sent him to die for the sins of men and women, boys and girls. Doesn't that show you how interested he is in you? How much he loves you? He will send His Son, Jesus Christ. He has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who has willingly come to die for you on the cross where He has gone through the punishment of hell for you. If only you'll come to Him and trust Him and seek His forgiveness. You see, if you have trusted in Jesus to forgive you your sins, you don't need to fear God's hellish judgment. Jesus has already paid the price for you. It's done. Uh, Fear not, Jesus says. All God's power and authority is no longer rushing headlong towards you in judgment. That is no longer happening to you. Instead, what is his power and authority doing? Well, it's guarding you. It's protecting you. It's keeping you. It's teaching you. It's making you more like Christ. It's bringing you home to be with your Lord and Savior. If you have trusted in Christ, fear not. You are of far more value than many sparrows. In God's eyes, you are precious. And you are loved in His Son, Jesus Christ. Finally, though, let's let's come to verses 8 to 12. And I've given these verses a longer title So listen carefully Because God sees everything And has authority over everything Acknowledge his son And seek his forgiveness Because God sees everything Has power and authority over everything Acknowledge his son Seek his forgiveness And in these verses as we come to them uh, verses 8 and the following, Jesus says that if you acknowledge him as your Lord and Saviour, then he will acknowledge you in the presence of the angels in heaven. That's before God. Uh, we'll come back again to verse 8 in a minute. He has another warning in verse 9. Consistently deny him and he will deny you. Uh, consistently deny him throughout all your life, die in denial of him. There will be no welcome in heaven for you. Now this sort of uh, consistent denial born of a lifelong and changing hardness of heart towards Jesus is then contrasted in the first half of verse 10 with the heart of someone who is truly sorry for words spoken against Jesus. I realize that uh, the end of uh, verse 9 and the start of verse 10 can seem like a contradiction. End of verse nine, Jesus is speaking of someone who consistently, hard heartedly through their life, just denies Jesus and never comes to him. Start of verse ten is to someone who may occasionally lose their nerve after they become a Christian or denied him previously, but now is turned to him. Different case. If they seek forgiveness, that person, then they will be forgiven. Uh, then in verse ten though. Uh, we come to some of the hardest words in the Gospels, and they're ha- hard words. Second half of verse 10 says that the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. The one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Uh, what on earth does Jesus mean? And what is he saying? And When he says, this one who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Well, to understand the answer to that question, uh, we need to understand the Holy Spirit's role in salvation. What does the Spirit do? What part does he play in making a person a Christian? In one of the other Gospels, in John chapter 16, uh, Jesus speaks at some length about the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The work that the Spirit would do uh, once Jesus had ascended back into heaven. uh, And he and the Father had sent the Spirit into the world. In verse 8 of that chapter, Jesus says this. He says that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Later on in that chapter, verse 14, again speaking of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it To you. So what part then does the Holy Spirit play in making a person a Christian? Well what he does is he shows a person their sinfulness. He shows them their need of righteousness. He shows them that God will judge their sin because of a lack of righteousness. And he points them to Christ. Glorifying Christ. As the one in whom there is salvation. That's what the Spirit does. He says, uh, look to him confess your sin trust in him as the Lord and Saviour who died and rose for you so to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to consistently repeatedly permanently ignore him when he tells you of your sinfulness when he points you to Christ as the only solution if you die having never listened to him Having never acted on what he urges you to do. Then Jesus says. You will not be forgiven. When your physical life is gone. And you stand before God the judge. He will not say you are forgiven. To blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Is to die having refused. To accept. God's gracious offer of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. That is unforgivable. There is nothing else that is unforgivable. Anything else can be forgiven. The most awful other sin that you can think of, that you have committed in your life or ever could commit, is not unforgivable. There is forgiveness for it, if you will come and confess and put your trust in Christ. Even at the start of verse 10, that bit where he says, if you speak a word against the Son of Man himself, Jesus' means of salvation, God the Son, that can be forgiven upon confession and trust in Christ. But if you'll never come and seek forgiveness, you will not end up forgiven, will you? You won't. Understanding that, let me go back to those other surrounding verses and finish with those. First of all, verse 8, we see that in response to the fact that God sees all things and God has authority of all things, uh, we shall acknowledge before men his son, who he sent into the world. Um, Christianity is not a private faith. It's not something that others shouldn't see and hear about. Uh, we live in a society that tells us, keep your mouth shut about your religious faith. Uh, definitely Uh, do not tell other people that they may need the faith that you have Uh, keep it private well as graciously uh, but as firmly as we can we have to swim against that tide as Christians it's not to be private our faith in Christ it's to be shared publicly other people need to know that, that God sees everything has authority over everything and that he has sent his son so that they can be forgiven and restored to him Jesus is saying if you're a Christian they need to see and hear that from you uh, they need to see that you are acknowledging the son of man as your lord and as your saviour uh, now that doesn't mean you have to be an incredibly gifted evangelist uh, not many people are incredibly gifted evangelists uh, but it means that people need to know that you're a Christian And that you're trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. They need to know that. It's not easy for most of us to tell people that, is it? In fact, for some of us, it's absolutely terrifying. It really can be for some. Well, look again at verses 11 and 12, because they're encouraging for you. Jesus tells his disciples that one day, like him, they'll be brought before the synagogues, the rulers, the religious authorities... And they will be told to keep quiet about their faith in Jesus Christ. You can read about it in Acts. They will be told not to talk about Jesus or tell other people that they need to have faith in him. Being before people like that will potentially make them anxious. Jesus wouldn't mention that if he didn't know it would. So he reassures them. He says to them, there in verse 12, the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say wonderful promise again isn't it you see when you act on those initial promptings of the spirit the ones to confess your sin and turn to Christ having done that the Holy Spirit doesn't just leave you alone to fend for yourself he comes and he takes up residence within you and he helps you to live and to speak for Christ Uh, in John 16, I didn't read the whole chapter but what does Jesus call the Holy Spirit there? Your helper Your helper So then when your your colleague or your school friend asks you what you did at the weekend, arrow prayer Holy Spirit help me to say something here that is is right, that is good that acknowledges you and then tell them Uh, When they ask you why you live your life in certain ways differently to them shoot up a prayer, Holy Spirit's help when the opportunity is there to invite someone to an evangelistic event or a Sunday service ask for the spirit's help and invite them God knows you may feel anxious, awkward and all sorts of other things in doing that but he promises the help of his spirit who lives within you And don't be afraid then to speak for Jesus don't do it in your own strength (coughs) do it in the strength of the spirit well, I've said enough, so let me, let me draw this together very, very briefly. What has this passage taught us? What has it said to us? Well, it's said that God sees everything, including your secret sins. So confess those sins, turn for them, seek his forgiveness. It's told us that God has a power and authority over everything. Authority to throw you into hell, even if you're an unforgiven sinner. But power and authority to keep you and care for you. If you're a forgiven sinner. So therefore acknowledge his son Jesus. Seek his forgiveness. Trust in his care. Acknowledge him in your daily life. Relying on the Holy Spirit's help. Amen.